Hey folks, Sam Jones here. Welcome to another edition of Off Camera, the show where I get to talk to iconic, creative, curious artists and find out how they got that way. And boy, do we have one of those this week. In this episode, I sit down for the second time with my good friend, actor, photographer, musician, artist, and Zen master sleep guru, Jeff Bridges. That's right, folks. Jeff is back again, and this time, the legendary multi-hyphenate is joining me because he's just released a new photography book titled Jeff Bridges Pictures Volume 2. Composed of behind-the-scenes photos taken throughout his career, the book is a wonderful representation of the magic and mystery of filmmaking, and I thought it was a perfect time to get the dude back in the off-camera chair. If you haven't seen Jeff Bridges' photographs, he shoots them on a camera called a Wide Lux, which is a panoramic film camera that's been around for a long time. And it's really unique in that the lens sweeps across the frame on a little motorized turret. So when you use the camera, the pictures feel very alive. And Jeff uses it on set to capture the weirdness of filmmaking. And his spirit is in each one of these photographs. And you can't help but romanticize Jeff's life when you see film sets through his eyes. You know, despite so many years of experience, Jeff approaches every new artistic project with a beginner's mind. Whether he's prepping for a new role, writing songs, painting, taking photos, or composing sleep music, getting down to work is how Jeff staves off his self-critic. As he says, we're often looking for passion and where to find it, but it doesn't come out of nowhere. Passion is the fire you get when you rub two sticks together. It's this passion that drew me to Jeff so many years ago, and it's why I'm excited to see what he'll work on next. Jeff knows how to work hard, but he also knows how to have fun doing it and not take it too seriously. And that's been something that I've been inspired by the entire time I've known him. Jeff joins off camera to talk about his fear of making decisions, what he's learned after 42 years of marriage, and why you'd better have a safe word or you might end up in the hospital. So pull up a chair and listen in. Hi, Jeff. Hey there. Thanks for doing this. Great to be here again, Sam. I know. We did the first one in 2014. Oh, wow. And strangely enough, we talked a lot about your photography then, mm -hmm. too. Oh, and good. you're here on the occasion of uh, your latest book being published, Pictures Volume 2. Yeah. And throughout your career, you've done a book for... Uh, what, what, Not all of the movies, but most of them. Most of the movies. And I've always had a fascination and an admiration for a great photograph on a film set because there's a whole romance that goes along with the idea of making movies as a profession. And, you know, I really love the foreword in, in this volume. You talk about the idea that life is only going to reveal itself to you or maybe art is only going to reveal itself to you if you show up every day looking for it. Mm -hmm. And I was curious if you find that when you work that muscle that you start seeing in ways that you could lose if you didn't, if you didn't do it yeah. every day. There's a, a kind of a momentum involved, you know. We're such habitual creatures, you know. Right. I mean, if you have a, a habit of, uh, you know, taking pictures and looking for that cool shot, uh, you get into that groove and uh, you find, you know, that just is the most natural thing yeah. going. And then you get those great, you know, the proof sheets back where it's like, you know, the Christmas present. You go, oh, wonder, oh, I didn't think that came out. Oh, look, you know, that kind of thing, you know, and that right. keeps you coming back to it. I am curious about if when you get in that headspace, if that starts to apply to other areas of your life as well. Yeah, I used to get uh, kind of frustrated with myself. You know, I'd be working on a movie and be in my hotel room going over my lines or something. And 
I'll say, oh yeah, that reminds me, that would make an interesting painting or a song. Yeah, I think I'll, uh, I'll yeah, I'll get, get my guitar and I'll start to write, a, play a song or something. Has that happened where, where specifically with a song, where, where that wasn't written in the original script and then? <laughs> I remember, I think it was my second movie called The Yin and Yang of Mr. Go. Really? Directed? I don't know that film. No, it's very obscure, man. I mean, I, we could do the whole interview on just that movie. But it was uh, Burgess Meredith yeah. wrote, directed, and starred in it. He really? playing a Chinese guy. James Mason played a Chinese-Mexican in the film. And uh, Burgess was such a, such a wild cat, man. And, um, and I would play him some songs. I was Playing. This is like maybe 69, 70. So you're, you're what? You're, oh, in you're your 19, 20. Yeah, yeah. And he says, oh, let's change your character. You know, you're writing rock operas and we're going to put this in the movie and stuff. You know, and it was, you know, so exciting. And just to, this one story is buried in my head that I got to tell you. So it was one of those scenes where uh, the money kept falling out, you know, the, you know, the financing. And so we'd be over there for a week not shooting but you know holding it in place in case it starts up again it would stop and go and the financing finally fell apart and we had to go, go home right and we had maybe five or six major scenes that weren't shot and it was very heartbreaking for everybody especially Burgess you know now we cut about 15 or 20 years later and I'm looking through a catalog of films that you can rent and you can rent this film. And I call Burgess up. I say, Burgess, we can see this. He goes, no, Jeff. I say, I'm telling you, Burgess, we can see this movie. I'm going to rent it, get a little screening room in Malibu. We'll see it. So we do that. And here it comes. I was wondering, how, you know, what are they going to do? They hired Broderick Crawford, you know who he is, from no. Highway Patrol, you know, oh. Tenfold, Tenfold. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. To kind of knit, knit together. And then the scenes that we didn't shoot, they simply made cartoons out of. Really? And it was so, you know, it broke Burgess's heart. Can you imagine? So Writing they took this film thing, away, the finances. Did, you know, did whatever they wanted to do, you know, made cartoons and oh God. So after you came home and it was just gone, did you just figure? Oh, that was it. It was, yeah, it was just, you know. Just failed, you know, yeah, failed experiment. A, fa a failed thing, yeah. Wow. So many things have to come together in, uh, for a movie to, you know, reach the public in the first place, and then let alone be a success, you know, but just to come out. So that makes me curious about something, which, and you wrote about this in your book, a little, you alluded to it a little bit, but you alluded to the fact that, t to you, a film set is still a, a magical sort of mysterious place. Yeah, well, part of that, I think, you know, I'm... Lloyd Bridges' kid, you sure. know, maybe a lot of people don't know it, you know, Sea Hunt, you know, but there's this big TV show back in the 60s, and uh, I remember going on the set with my dad and, you know, watching him and yeah. getting a kick out of uh, seeing him and a bunch of other, you know, grown men sitting on ladders, you know, like this, pretending they're, they're cowboys, and then they're like this, you know, and I ruined many shots not being able to hold my giggling down, you know, from seeing my dad, and I, I could remember, you know, dressing up, he'd bring, come home as dressed up like a cowboy, and I'd get all that stuff on, so that was kind of dear to my heart, and as I, I'm, I'm, you know, recalling that image of my dad on the ladder, and uh, when I 
took some pictures for True Grit. Yeah. And there are the actors up on the ladders, man. You know, I said, like, I gotta take that shot, you know? <laughs> yeah. Those kind of things, uh, you know, bring a smile to me. Did you actually see your dad at work before you went to a movie? Oh, like, yeah. Did you, did oh, you yeah. see the, the, oh, yeah. the behind the scenes before you I saw think the so. finished thing? I think so, yeah. Isn't that interesting? Oh, it, oh it's, all, it's all still very uh, magical. You know, one of the reasons I made this book, and you were mentioning the foreword, I think I could describe it. You know, it's, a lot of it is just for selfish, you know, reasons, because I, I want to, they're like little home movies. I look at a picture and I, boom, I'm back in that spot. You right. know, so, but it's also uh, a chance to, uh, to show what making movies is like right now, because it's not going to be like this for very long. It's right. all, you know, digital. I've already been digitized in the computer, you know, this, this right. the, so I'm imagining in the future, they'll just say, oh, let's put a little Bridges, a little De Niro, you know, and just a skosh of, uh, you know, Brando in there, you know, mix it up. And, and now it's like the writer's medium and they just, you know, assign the, you know, all, all you know, CG. Yeah, I get the sense from your book and just from knowing you as a person that you love the collaborative aspect oh, of it as yeah. well. There's a picture in your book uh, from Hell or High Water, and it's you with, I think, the editors there and some of the crew members, and you're hanging out at this kind of odd location. Oh, that, yeah, that was a great idea, and it seems to be happening less and less these days, but I'm glad on that movie uh, that uh, our director uh, decided to uh, have a kind of a communal spot to hang. It was like a house or something. Yeah, it right? was an old cabin in the middle of Albuquerque that he was used as a um, an editing where they did the editing. Our director David McKenzie had this wonderful idea to have a local place where on weekends the cast and the crew could meet and see what we shot that week, and he would show it there, and it was just. A wonderful, uh, you know, bringing bringing people together, and it caused uh, quite a bit of relaxation, you know. And when you have that kind of relaxation, I this is my feeling that the work can flow out because you're you're kind of loose, you know, and you know each other, you know. And that was, you know, that was wonderful. I remember, you know, we don't we don't hang out, in the, and this probably has a lot to do with age too, and our uh, capacity to really hold liquor well these days but you know after work you'd meet in a in one of the motor homes and you'd you know have a few and you know reminisce about the day and laugh together we don't do that as much anymore you know that camaraderie thing i mean that's one of the first things that i do is uh you know you only have a, a short period of time where you gotta come up with the goods you know a matter of weeks and uh, most stories have something to do with love, you know, <laughs> whether you're not getting it or you're, you know, you have it and it's yeah. causing you problems or whatever. And so I've been amazed at how uh, accessible love and intimacy really is with people, you know. You have this movie you're working on together and your story you want to tell. And to open your heart to these people that you're going to be working with. And I don't know if it's like, it's almost like being in a sorority or a fraternity or something where that's how uh, artists uh, that are working uh, in a you know communal fashion often work. They say, you know, come on, we're one 
in this, you know, we're, yeah. you know, we're different impulses in the same brain and let's get to know each other and open our hearts to each other and let this story kind of come through us and do us, you know. But we, uh, you know, show up with that kind of uh, yeah. leaning forward. You know, it makes me curious about, uh, I find often when you have a camera, it can make people put their guard up or if you trust the process, it can bring people closer together. And I wonder yeah. if you bringing your wide lux out on set is sort of a, uh, sort of a lubricant for that kind of intimacy at yeah, first. Because yeah. you involve people in, like they see you sort of putting yourself out there. Well, uh, yeah, I have a series of shots that I do with actors, um, these tragedy comedy right. photographs that uh, you know harken back to the Greek tr mass, the tragedy and comedy mass that actors used to wear in the theater. And the nature of this uh, wide lux is um, it's almost like a it's almost a bridge between still photography and motion picture photography because you've got this panning lens and so I can shoot the actor you know making you know a sad face and then a happy face and then the end result is on one negative right. he's looking at each other you know because I had 15th of a second which you can hand hold with this camera because the shutter is a little more forgiving it's about this long So you can paint, you know, for that length of time. You hold the camera still, and it's going to be in, sh in focus. It moves. It's not so you can play with it like that. And that's, you know, that's a wonderful. And then the play aspect to get actors to engage in this process, because you got to do a couple of rehearsals, you know. I yeah. put them on the left side of the, you know, frame, and I say, now, when I say shift, you got to shift your mouth in your eyes and look that way and I we, we rehearse it and then I take a few you know but uh, I like the, the series for a couple of reasons one because um, it uh, you know is this like those original Greek mass it's the poles of our emotions you know and uh, to get actors uh, to play like that in front of the camera it kind of displays the playfulness of actors and how willing they are to be foolish and, you know, have fun, you know. Right. Do you find that when you, when you pull an actor aside and do those portraits, do you find that it sort of also reveals what kind of actor they are or what, or what their process is? Because <laughs> one of the things you, I think you talk about this in the book, is, is that art is scary. And I was curious why you think there's such high stakes associated with the idea of pretending to be someone else. <laughs> because it's such an oxymoron to me that... It's so silly. That you're all pretending and it's all silly. And I know you mean. I mean, just personally, uh, it is for me. And it's such a... You know, you would think after doing it so long, I mean, I've done, you know, 70 films. You know, you'd think, gee, you'd get used to that, you know. Right. And I guess I've gotten kind of used to the fear you know he's kind of an old buddy now you know I'm, I'm I'm afraid every time I'm anxious every time you know my wife you know we've been married you know for what, 42 years and she's been through a lot of these movies with me and she says yeah that's that's how you always are I say really like this she goes always every time and how I does say, it manifest know, itself at home you know I'm just you know kind of anxious and I find the thing that that uh, that relieves that fear, scratches that itch, is work. Just do, you know, doing the doing the stuff, studying your lines. You know, if you're anxious about it, you know, just get into it. You know, 
it. I'm reading this book called The uh, Daily Stoic. You know, okay. And uh, what would it say about uh, discipline really comes from uh, being motivated. You know, that's where your discipline comes from, you know. And people often uh, look for passion. You know, I wish I was passionate about it. And part of that frustration about uh, the fear, you know, is that I'm not passionate enough to engage, to be disciplined to do the thing, you know. Right. And I came across, you know, these TED Talks are wonderful. You see these different oh, yeah. guys talk. And there was a woman on there who said something that really made sense to me. She said, you know, we're often looking for passion, you know, where to find it. And it doesn't come out of nowhere. She says, passion is the fire you get when you rub sticks together. Isn't that a nice and a, yeah. a, a metaphor? So you really, so you got to just get in there and do do the do do some work. Nobody wants to do what they're not good at, you know, what they feel uncomfortable. But you so that little engagement, and then out of that comes this. Oh yeah, a little bit of passion, a little fire, and then now we now the discipline starts to kick in kind of naturally about what you do to do your thing, and it becomes a little more enjoyable. It's not so frightening, you know. Hey folks, I want to take a little break from the conversation and tell you that Off Camera with Sam Jones is brought to you in part by Warby Parker. Warby Parker was founded with a rebellious spirit and a lofty goal to create boutique quality eyewear at a revolutionary price point. So if you're looking for great eyewear and you need some help to figure it out, Warby Parker is here to help. By simply answering a few quick questions, they'll suggest some great looking glasses that are totally personalized to fit your face and style. Glasses start at just $95, including prescription lenses. Lenses include anti-glare and anti-scratch coatings, and blue light filtering lenses are also now available. And if you have an iPhone X, you can download Warby Parker's app, and you can use their brand new virtual try-on, allowing you to try on eyeglasses, and you can see the realistic color, texture, and size of each style using just your phone. This is really cool technology because it's taking virtual shopping to a new level. I got to tell you, I went on there and it's a lot of fun because you can just sort of try on all these glasses and it's sort of a weird virtual experience, but it actually works pretty good. So check out the Warby Parker app and know that for every pair of glasses sold, Warby Parker distributes a pair of glasses to someone in need. And just like their eyeglasses, their sunglasses are available through the home try-on program. Warby Parker sunglasses feature premium polarized lenses that are scratch resistant and provide 100% UV protection. You know... So many things that I think in the beginning of this online revolution where people said, well, we'll never be able to do that online. I, I would say you'd put eyeglasses in that category. And now what Warby Parker has done is they figured out a way to let you have the experience where you can buy with confidence online. And because you can do that, they can bring you these glasses at a great price point. So if you haven't tried Warby Parker yet, take a minute, download their app, check out their stuff and know that when you're buying a pair of glasses, you're also helping somebody else. Warby Parker believes that glasses should be viewed as a fashion accessory, just like a bag, a shoe, a necktie, a hat, and they make it easy and affordable to accessorize with glasses. And for me, the home try-on program means that I don't have to go find a glasses store and try things on and wonder if all the stock is in the store. I can just peruse at home at night when the kids are in bed, and they've just made it really easy. So here's the deal for off-camera listeners. They have this free home try-on program, you can order five pair of glasses and try them on for five days. There's no obligation to buy. They ship for free, and they include a prepaid return shipping label. 
you can head to warbyparker.com slash off camera to order your free home try on. And then you just take the quiz to find a pair that is perfect for you today. So there's no downside to trying on these glasses. And I also learned something in working with Warby Parker. And that is that almost 1 billion people worldwide lack access to glasses. That means that 15% of the global population cannot effectively learn or work, which is crazy because glasses were invented 700 years ago. That's another fact I didn't know. We should be on top of this. Warby Parker partners with nonprofits like Vision Spring to ensure that for every pair of glasses sold, a pair is distributed to someone in need. They believe that everyone has a right to see. And as someone who is seeing right now, I can't imagine what it would be like to not have access to glasses, whether they're prescription or reading glasses or even sunglasses. And obviously, as a photographer and a visual artist, I take my eyesight very seriously. So check out what they're doing. They're a great company and they're sponsoring us. So take some time and check it all out and let me know what you think of it. Thanks for listening and back to the show. The very act of making a film, it takes so long. And to be an actor, you can't just go there and do the work. You have to wait until this entire machine gets oh, rolling. And so oh, right. the stakes going in on the first day, even oh, after 70 so films, it still must be like, well, I haven't done this in a while. I, I, it always feels like I'm, I've never done it before. It's kind of, you know, that in, in a way that's kind of good. You know, they talk about beginner's mind, you know. And, and that's, there's something kind of cool about that. But it is a little bit disconcerting. You're like, what? What do I? What am I supposed to do? <laughs> do you still have to kind of go through the ringer with your own self-critic, or with your own fear to even accept a job? Yeah, I try to work as little as possible. I really try, <laughs> I try not to engage because I know what it takes. You know what it means. You're away from your family and all your you know loved ones. You yeah. Know. Uh, you you do one thing, you can't do this other thing, you don't, but you don't even know what it is. But, you know, there's no more things coming down the pike that you can say yes to because you're already engaged. You yeah. Know? And then you know all the work, all the fear and the, all of that stuff that goes along with the gig. And uh, the challenge, you know, I don't like to be challenged, but I seem to be kind of drawn like a moth to a flame to it. But I really try hard not to engage until... I just, I just have to. It's just too cool for one reason or another, not to. <laughs> yeah, I'll feel. You know, I ask myself, how are you going to feel if you don't do it? How are you going to feel if you do it? You know, I say, well. So you have to sort of have this conversation. I, well, my my mother, uh, you know, used to tease me that I have abulia, which is a, a mental uh, disorder of not being able to make my make decisions, and I think that is pretty true too. I mean, whether I'm ordering at a restaurant, you know, I got to find out what everybody else is eating, you know, all that. You got to take a walk around oh, the restaurant, yeah. look at oh, all the other exactly, tables. exactly. Um, I love the metaphor of the two sticks being mm -hmm. being what leads to the passion. Yeah, and it makes me wonder about all the projects that you do outside of acting and. You know, from making your photography books mm -hmm. to painting and drawing to writing music, and I was curious how you get motivated to do it, and and when you do, what you always discover. As you ask that question, my mind's firing on, on many different things. <laughs> Years ago, this outfit named Squarespace invited me to do a commercial for um, the Super Bowl, and they didn't want, "Hi, I'm Jeff Bridges for." Squarespace. They didn't want something like that. They wanted me to come up with the most ridiculous uh, 
pro uh, product that I wanted to sell, and they would actually make that product, and then um, they would do a website about it, and, and then they said the clincher that got me involved is then all the proceeds that we will get from this product will go to No Kid Hungry, my, a charity about ending right. childhood hunger. I said, oh, well, I'm in. Let's do that, you know. So they had a list of different absurd, you know, things to make, and one of them was sleeping tapes. I said, what are sleeping tapes? They said, we have no idea. It can be whatever you want. I said, what do you mean? He said, anything you want. I said, wow, okay. Yeah, you know, this is like a luring me in. I said, well, I think I'll get Kefis. Do you know Kefis? No. Kefis Chancia, he's a pianist and does uh, some wonderful ambient, did all the true detective stuff. Okay. I said, I'll get Kefis and we'll go into a studio and just jam. We had no idea what would happen. And so we were in there for like a week. We had so much fun and came up with this album called Sleeping Tapes. It turns out it uh, scored uh, number two on the New Age charts. It raised over a quarter of a million bucks, you know, for No Kid Hungry. Then, now just a couple of years ago, this guy Brooks Branch calls me up and says, kind of inspired by your sleeping tapes, we want to make something called Sleep Club. I say, what is Sleep Club, man? He says, well, it can be, again, whatever you want, man. And I said, okay, uh, tell me more. He says, and then to lure people to this website, we want to make a, uh, a documentary, uh, um, or a mockumentary, I should say. Of course, this might be letting people in on the gag, but um, what the hell. A mockumentary that you have been asked to perform sleeping tapes at the Hollywood Bowl. <laughs> and we'll make a documentary about you preparing for that. So we did that, and that's on the online now. If you look at Sleeping Club and go to watch, you'll see this thing. And I had so much fun, and it was, again, it was like uh, kids playing, man. We just had a ball. You know, hey, you want to come on over? Well, yeah, we got Keefishes coming. We, okay, yeah, and you got the cool toys? Yeah, good, man. And we shot it on iPhones, and it was just like, you know, Little Rascals making a movie. And it was, you know, so much fun. What I hear you saying is that, strangely enough, you've, you've backed into this career where any crazy idea that comes out of your mind, there's, there's, oh. there's an avenue for it. My father, uh, you know, unlike a lot of showbiz dads, he wanted all his kids to go into showbiz because he loved it so much, you know. And I said, oh, I don't know, Dad, I'm thinking about, you know, I'm into music. And he says, Jeff, don't be ridiculous. You'll get to play, you'll do all the music you want, you know. You'll have parts, you'll have to do that. You know, that's one of the great thing about acting is all your interests can be applied to this, you know. He's my acting teacher, you know. I learned most of the basics from him, but the thing that I learned most from him was nothing he ever said, but it was just watching him on a movie set, and this joy that he had, it just came out about how, if, this is so cool, man, what we get to do, and that joy was like contagious. It went across the whole company, you know, and people said, oh yeah, this is this is kind of fun. We're playing. Do you think oh, yeah. you play that role for young people now? And I set? think so. I mean, I think, and I, uh, it's not something I even do, um, you know, consciously, but I think it's just in my genes. That's how I approach it, you know. I read a little about your dad, and, and I read that 
his parents didn't want him to be an actor. Yeah, no, no. And it's interesting that yeah, maybe he was that? he was writing that wrong by by telling you that it's okay to go have that kind of career. That's so interesting why people do what they do. You know, my dad came from a particularly tough home, you know, early, you know, divorce when he was a kid and had no real, you know, fights with his parents and, you know, was not a good, not a happy childhood. And some folks would perpetuate that kind of behavior on their own kids. Right. And some don't, you know, and my dad said, you know, damn it, I'm not going to be like that to my kids. I'm going to do this, you know. It's a, curious why people do Which way they, they go, yeah, whether, which they, way they, whether go. they follow the same footsteps yeah, or whether be, yeah. they, yeah. Well, uh, you know, that brings up a good question because I didn't know you spent your first year of high school in military school. <laughs> yeah, oh shit. So tell me about that, because uh, how did how did that end up happening? Well, you know, it was the old thing with my... Were you, know, you a troublemaker? No, I wasn't a troublemaker. I wasn't applying myself, man, you know, to my studies. You know, it was all about girls, right? In high school? Come on. When man. I was a kid, the threat was... If, if you don't get your act together, you're going to military school. That's it. That There's was a, exactly it. And, they, and that threat and doesn't exist in, yeah, uh, in today's world. Like, I don't they, think parents use that yeah. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but so, so your dad said that to you? Yeah, my dad and my mom were into that thing. And uh, so they sent me to Brentwood Military Academy. You know, it's called Brentwood School now. I don't think it's a military school now. But Oh, I know Brentwood School. Yeah, I didn't yeah, know it was yeah, a military Oh, yeah, it was a academy. military academy. Really? So they sent me there, you know, and there were no girls, and my grades improved dramatically. And then, you know, I went back to, the, the, you know, they, I could go back to normal school, you know. Was there a discipline there at the school that sort of shaped right. everybody it was, up? Oh, it was kind of a, it wasn't a, it was, there was no um, social thing that I was interested in, you know. There was a lot of prejudice and um, it was a you know a weird place, but I, I didn't I didn't enjoy it that much. But you know I went to uni, you know uni. Yeah, uni high. Uni high, you know had some you know great times there. We had you know great it's, folks. It's funny to think of you in high school because you go to uni high. Your father's a famous actor. You're you're probably living pretty well at that point. Yeah, well, there's a bit of that, you know. Oh, you think you're so great. Your dad is you know Mike Nelson from Sea Hunt, you know. And there's a bit of that, but uh, you know, mainly all the challenges. It was all about girls, man. You know? Yeah, yeah, heart troubles. You know, were you an athlete? A little bit, not not much. Bo, my older brother, yeah. he's eight years older than I am. He was quite an athlete. He uh, uh, played with Wooden at UCLA. He did. Yeah, and he was scouted by the Dodgers and all this. Really? So he taught me, you know, a bunch of. Uh, sports stuff and uh and we used to surf together and box and all those kinds of things you know but i didn't really and it wasn't too much into uh team you know team sports a little bit but not too much yeah and did you have a plan in high school of i'm going to go act or i'm going to well no i resisted it quite a bit because uh, bo was already doing it at that point he was right? doing it yeah and um i resisted it uh because I, I didn't know what I, you know, it's like at that age, you know, you're thinking, well, what do I want to be when I grow up kind of thing? And I didn't really know. I, but I, the, the acting thing, which already put in motion, that had a lot of momentum going already. 
So it was kind of the path of least resistance, you know? Yeah. And I actually decided I was going to take the path of acting in a more serious fashion kind of late in my career. I had, you know, been already nominated for an Academy Award, did maybe 10, 15 movies. Well, you were still deciding if you wanted to I was still yeah, deciding <laughs> if I wanted to, you know, to pursue that because I had other interests. Yeah. You know? Well, it, it brings up the idea that back then, I don't think people were so specialized from an early age. Uh, you know, kids now, they feel like they have to know what they want to do by the time they're <laughs> yeah. in middle school or something like that. Well, now, one of the big gigs is an influencer, being an influencer. Right. <laughs> you're, you're an influencer. Maybe we all are influencers. Yeah, on on so. different levels of Yeah, of, uh, I, I think so. But what an interesting yeah. gig, you know, for a kid to say, I want to be, I want to influence people. It's kind of fascinating. You know, it brings to mind... Um, one of my uh, heroes is Bucky Fuller. The geodesic dome is his. Oh right, main, he built the he built, he built that. the yeah. homes that. Yeah, he's a, you know an incredible mind. He, you know he did a, a famous book called Opera, uh, Manual for uh, Operating Operating Manual for Spaceship Earth was a, one of his big books I think in the 60s. But he made a wonderful exam, uh, uh, discovery. Uh, looking at, I think it was the, you know, the Queen Mary, one of these huge ocean-going liners, and he said the engineers were challenged by how to move this giant ship. You know, the rudder to move it was so huge that it took too much energy to make it make sense. So they came up with a brilliant plan of putting a little tiny rudder on the big rudder. So the little rudder turns the big rudder, the big rudder turns the ship, and uh, that little rudder is called a trim tab. And Bucky said, that's a wonderful metaphor for how the individual affects society and culture, that in fact we're all trim tabs right. or influencers. Isn't that interesting? And we're connected to larger groups of people that may be more powerful than us, that we can affect and then they can affect the whole thing. And uh, so uh, when I think about that, you know, b being an influencer is not such a, uh, a bad thing to be when you really take it seriously. You yeah. Know? Well, it, it's interesting when you, when you talk about influencers, too. Let's think about the age gap between you and Bo. And he must have had some influence over you. Oh, yeah. Oh, but I also man. read that he sort of teased you mercilessly. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> and, sure. And I, I was curious if that... Still. Still. Still, of is course. He, is he still the older brother to you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it's funny. I think about Fabulous Baker Boys. And you are the dominant brother in that film. And it made me so curious about what your relationship was before Fabulous Baker Boys and if it changed it at all to work together that closely but to play a brother dynamic. Oh, well, I said my dad was you know, my main acting teacher, but Bo was also right in there. And he was also my champion, you know, he... Um, so as much as he teased you, he also... Oh, oh, yeah, I mean, you know, I, and he taught me all the sports and I love spending time with him. And my dad, like myself, was a, a gone for a large portion of uh, you know the kids growing up because he's making movies you know right. so Bo was kind of you know the uncle or the you know surrogate father whatever you say a lot of the time and a couple of things are coming to mind you know early with Bo when uh, getting me into acting you know and he would say uh, hey we got to get you an agent man you know I said okay 
He said, so we got to get, we got to work up some scenes. How, how old were you at that time? 15, you know, 16. And uh, I think the best scene that we were doing was from um, Catcher in the Rye. Oh, yeah. The Holden Caulfield yeah. uh, scene with Luce. I don't know if you remember that. And uh, so we went to this agent, and Bo had another great plan to do. He says, What's, what we're going to do is you're going to go in there, and we'll talk for a while like they do. And then I'm going to say, I've got to go to the bathroom, and I'll leave the room. And then when I come back in, we'll start the scene. But don't let them know. Let them see how if it can be just so natural so they won't know when the scene starts. And it came out, it worked very beautifully like that. The people didn't know, you know, they realized about halfway into the scene that we were doing a scene. Really? Yeah. But Bo, uh, you know, it's so, when we were doing Baker Boys, it, we were just pinching each other. Yeah, can you believe what we're doing, man? This is so cool, you know? And we just had a ball doing it. And we're, you know, I mean, I, you know, I could, you know, go on and on stories about that. We had, Talking about st uh, fighting, stage fights, we, our father, uh, you know, taught us how to do all that stuff, and we had a fight in Baker Boys. Yeah, so right. I asked Steve Clovis, the young director. You know, that was his first, first film. I think he wrote it when he was 21. He was maybe 24 or five when he was directing it, and he said, "Yeah, you guys figure out the fight." So we had a wonderful time, except we made a, one giant faux pas. We had no safe word. What do you mean? Well, you know, we're fighting each other. We're hurting each other. And so I grabbed his hand. He's a piano player. And I grabbed his hand like this. Like, hey, and he said, oh, you're hurting me. You're hurting me, man. And I said, I'll act your ass off. You know, but I was really hurting him. You know, we didn't have oh, like, you thought tomato, he was acting. tomato. <laughs> yeah, we thought, I thought he was acting his ass off. You know, so I sent him to the hospital, you know. Really? Oh, Did yeah. you break his I didn't, I didn't break it. I just, you know, hurt him, you know. Maybe there's a little subliminal uh, yeah. payback going on in there for, for all the teasing. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah, did he have your number back then? Could he really get to you? He could get to me, man. Oh, oh, look. There's a circus in town? And he'd make me go. He'd make me say, where? And he would go, right there. And he would get, get me on that one all the time. It would absolutely drive me crazy. And then he had a special uh, pointing technique where he would just point at me. Like that. And he would not stop, you know. And that would absolutely drive me crazy. Really? And we could be at the dinner table and he would, his hand would be under the table and he'd be like this, you know. And I know he would be pointing at me. I'd say, Mom! Dad! He's pointing at me! <laughs> and I'd say, I'm not doing anything! <laughs> Drive me crazy. Do you have any brothers or sisters? I have a younger brother, younger sister, older sister. Did you, were you teased or did you do some teasing? I, I would torture my younger brother because oh. I was so mad at him that oh. I had to do all the babysitting. He was so oh, much younger right. than oh, me. Right. And my mom would say, you know, you got to take him around the block and hang him. He, he's got to hang out with your friends. Embarrassing. Man. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's about the same gap. We're nine years apart. And it's kind of interesting that he took such, like maybe he noticed that you needed a little of that because you did mention that your dad was gone a lot making movies. And mm -hmm. It is an interesting dynamic to 
see your parents be really successful, but see their success take them away from you for long periods mm. of time. Yeah, but it's a funny thing when you're a kid, you don't know. Yeah, you know, you, that's all you know, so yeah. it doesn't seem odd or different. You know, it's just that's just the way it is. You know, you, it's funny. Hey folks, let's take a break from the conversation because I want to tell you that Off Camera with Sam Jones is also brought to you in part by Native. Now what's Native? It is an amazing deodorant and I use it every day. That's true. They sent me one and I switched from my old deodorant, which I've been using since I got a stick from my father way back in the, uh, in the early days. And they sent me their product and I tried it. I love the smell. I love the feel. And then I dug a little deeper to find out what they're all about, and that's what I'm here to talk to you about. Native is an aluminum-free deodorant that has over 8,000 five-star reviews. You can hear about them in the Today Show, Elle Magazine, Pop Sugar, and Refinery29. And with Native, there's fewer, simpler ingredients, so you know everything that's in there. And being aluminum-free, it's safe and effective. But what first drew me to Native was the smell. They sent me cucumber and mint, and I don't know how they know that I love cucumber and mint, whether it's in a drink or a salad or apparently under my arms because I put this deodorant on and I liked the clean, simple, fresh smell to it. There was no perfuminess. There was no deodorant type of chalky smell. It was just super nice and had this fresh, clean smell. And I love it. So now I use it every day. And they not only sell cucumber and mint, although I would recommend if you want to smell just like me, that's the one you get. But they have coconut and vanilla, lavender and rose, and eucalyptus and mint. I'm going to try the coconut and vanilla next, just to mix it up during the holidays. And they offer free returns and exchanges in the USA. So what are you waiting for? If you haven't tried Native yet, maybe it's time to switch from your dad's old deodorant and smell like yourself. And because you're an off-camera listener, you can have 20% off your first purchase just by visiting nativedeodorant.com and using the promo code OFFCAMERA during checkout. That's 20% off your first purchase by visiting nativedeodorant.com and using the promo code OFFCAMERA during checkout. And now, back to the show. I imagine, you know, you have three daughters and I have three daughters. Mm-hmm. And some of the most rewarding and toughest times in my life have, have not been out working you know, and making a career for myself. They've, they've been at home trying to figure out how to manage a, a situation or a, or a problem or, or be a good dad or give the right advice. And I just wondered if, if a picture comes to mind of when the world saw you as so successful and then you were still struggling and trying to figure out how to be a father or how to be a husband. Or It's funny. Um, I was really blessed with uh, who I cooked up with, man, my wife, Sue great mom. The girls are all turned out beautifully. I hold Sue largely responsible, especially, you know, younger, you're, uh, you know, you're trying to, you know, make good movies and work with, you know, good people. And you're kind of in this, in this thing and you're getting offers and you're reading scripts and there's a, there's a, uh, a momentum that's happening. And part, part of uh, an aspect of that momentum is it's, uh, very self-involved, you know, very self-involved, you know, and you, you can say, I'm doing this, I'm making money so we can afford to, you know, live the way we want and the kids can go in these schools. So there's a great rationale for this yeah. kind of self-oriented feeling. 
But later on in my life, I remember I've cried with my daughters, you know. <laughs> what did I? I missed out. I missed out on so much. You know, raise, you know, raising them, all those wonderful, you know, because the, the kids, everything happens so fast, man. Life's going by really fast, yeah. isn't it? And it picks up speed. And um, I try to do my best now, uh, and, you know, for, for several years now, to try to figure out little projects with my girls uh, that bring us together so we, you know, I don't know why we need reasons to be together, but it also, it helps, it facilitates yeah. it somehow. Yeah. You know, so with Jessie, my middle daughter, we play music, you know, all the time. We, you know, she opens for me sometimes and we, you know, you know, play music. That's kind of our connection. My eldest girl, Isabel, uh, we're making a, uh, a book, a children's book, she came up with a great title, Daddy Daughter Day. And so she wrote it and I'm illustrating it. So oh, that's something fantastic. we're working on. And my baby, you know, Haley, she's the only one who lives in Santa Barbara and she's a you know, wonderful interior designer. We work together on houses and that kind of thing. So I try to, you know, figure out things, you know, projects to do that bring us together. And so that just scratches that low, that feeling, you know, that uh, they're dropping the ball on their, you know, their childhood, not being around as much as I'd want, you know. Do you remember ever being on location and really, really noticing it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, nothing really popped into my mind that just shows you how self-involved I was, man. Well, but I can, I can remember one, you know, time, uh, you know, Sue doesn't like to come and visit me on the set. The kids don't like it really much. It's not that fun. Uh, but I invited him to uh, come on the Lebowski, you know, big Lebowski set, you know, because uh, I thought, oh, this would be a fun scene. It's kind of the Busby Berkeley dude's dream, you know, with the, oh, the bowling the, alley the, and the, the, the girls with the bowling pin hats right. and all that. And, so the girls came and I put the bowling pin hats on them and all and I took a bunch of wide lux pictures of them and you know. And uh, now we're gonna shoot a scene and the scene that we were gonna shoot was when the dude goes underneath all of these bowling pin Corins, you know, these women with the bowling and looks up at their vaginas as I go by right. under their legs. I you remember know. that scene. And well. I say, why the hell did I invite my girls and my wife to come for that particular scene? <laughs> I could not. I said, what was I thinking, man? So uh, I went up to the head bowling pin Corinne because we were about to do the scene and to kind of break the ice or to, you know, make it, you know, take the edge off the thing. I said, uh, see, do you mind if I take a photograph as I go underneath your leg? Yeah, that usually so breaks the ice, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, they say, and she said, by all means, dude, kind of like that. I said, hmm, that's weird. And I get on my little skateboard to be pulled through the legs like this. And I, you know, do my wide legs like that, and I'm about to say, oh, I gotta look up, you know? I said, okay, I look up. And there, she has this tufts of pubes, man. They're just <laughs> coming out of her leotard, just like, you know, I said, what? And I go, action, and I push my picture, and I go to the next one, and the next one even has more 
pubes, man. Like, oh my God. And that uh, turns out that they were pulling one on the dude. They'd gone to the makeup man and got crepe hair and stuffed it in their <laughs> thing. And my wife and daughters, thank God, were in on it. Oh my God. But anyway, that popped into my head as you're asking. And that is the plot of Daddy Daughter Day. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But that would be good. That's Daddy Daughter Day too. Yeah, that's right. Daddy discovers pubes. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> that is funny. How did how did you meet Sue? How did you meet your wife? Well, I'm shooting a movie called Rancho Deluxe. Okay. In Montana, I'm doing a scene with Harry Dean Stanton and Sam Waterston, and. Uh, and we're in a big hot tub there. And I cannot take my eyes off this, I don't know if she's a waitress, a maid, I can't, I, I can't take my eyes off this girl. Beautiful, two black eyes and a broken nose. And so that juxtaposed to the beauty, you know. And I finally got my guts up to ask her out. And uh, I said, would you, would you like to go out with her? She goes, no. I said, really? She says, no, no. It's a small town, you know, maybe I'll see you around. I say, oh, well, okay. And uh, her prophecy proved true, and I saw her at the rap party, and we danced, and I was, I was head over heels before I even saw her, you know. And our first date, the next day, our, I said, hey, you want to come out and look at some property with me? I'm thinking about buying a place in Montana. Okay. That's a good, that's a good uh, line for a first oh, date. Yeah, right? exactly, exactly. <laughs> I'm going to buy a ranch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we go out and look at this place, and I have this terrible feeling, because it's so strong and frightening. This is the woman. You are looking at the house that you will marry this woman. I just, I, it was all so, you know, solidified. And she had no idea. She's just, oh yeah. And I'm saying, oh God, this, I'm looking at for houses with my wife. This is the woman I'm gonna marry. And I'm like 20 something, 26, seven or something. Scared the shit out of me. And uh, now, just to complete that story, uh, now, so we get married maybe 15 years, 20 years later, we've got a bunch of kids and I'm at my office and I'm looking through my mail and I get this letter from the makeup man on, the, on Rancho Deluxe. And he says, uh, I was looking through my files and I came across this photograph uh, of you asking a local girl out. I said, what? And I look at it and there's two pictures, a two shot, of the first words ever uttered between us, me asking her out and her saying no, and somebody <laughs> captured that picture. And I have those pictures with me right now. I could show those to you. I would love to see Yeah, them. so I'll show those to you. Oh my yeah. gosh. So you, you're, the first moment was documented, and the first date, you're looking at the house that you end oh, up buying oh, with Oh, there's her. several, yeah, there's several stories that I could tell you about. I mean, so, you know, marital stories. I had a hard time getting married, man. Well, how come? Autonomy, I guess, you know. It scares you, commitment yeah, scares you. Yeah, yeah, you know, and that, and that thing about my mom, you know, our mom says, Abulia, you know, which way, which, you know, which choice, what do I do, you know? And you do that, then you can't do that, you know, it's all those other girls, you know, no more. I remember uh, it took me about, you know, you know, when you get the three, you're living with a girl for three years, it's, you know, shit, I got off the pot kind of thing. Sure. Know? And I really resisted this marital thing, you know. And, 
and we were living in my little bachelor pad up in Malibu, and across the valley there on the other side of the mountain is a big rock about the size of this room here with a head. It's like a cave for the mouth and two caves for the eyes, and it's just there. There were no houses or anything, just this big rock, and as the sun would go across, it'd kind of change expression, you know, fascinating thing. I said, gee, you know, I bet that's probably filled with petroglyphs and stuff. We gotta walk over there. There's no path, it's just like the brush and everything. So one day we took the dogs with us. I can't remember how we did that, but right just as the crow flies through all the sagebrush down up, and we're sitting in the cave, the mouth of this guy. I'm so exhausted looking over. I said, oh, look at our house. Look at our house over there. It's just sitting there on that hill. Isn't that amazing? You know, we're in this little speck. It's flying through space, this little house. You will now ask this woman to marry you. This voice coming up my ass, up through my spine, to my heart, like this, man. And Sue says, what's wrong? I go, nothing, nothing. And my eyes start to ejaculate tears, you know. No, she goes, what is wrong? I say, nothing, nothing. She says, please tell me. I say, I have this terrible feeling that I'm supposed to ask you to marry me now and I'm just, I'm just so frightened. I really, and she goes, well, you don't have to do that. I said, good, let's get the fuck out of here. Ah! <laughs> and say, hey, take off. Yeah. So whenever I question whether that was the right move on my part to, you know, marry, and I shortly after that, I proposed, you know, and she said, well, when are we going to do it? I said, well, how's Thursday? Because I don't know how long I'm going to be able to hold this particular, uh, you know, feeling in my heart. But so that, and then the, and then the other thing is just her support, you know, of uh, me, you know, she supports me being who I want to be, you know, and, and being an actor, you know, uh, having intimacy with all these other people, you know, beautiful women, uh, other actors, and is that, you know, she doesn't see that as taking away from our relationship. Right. And uh, man, it just having somebody who supports that kind of freedom and, and uh, it's, you know, basically, you know, love, you know, she, so you, you want to return to that. And, you know, the more uh, you, you work on that intimacy and explore all those, you know, highs and lows, it just becomes so rich and precious. Yeah, you say in the book that, that you're not sure if it's healthy to pretend to be other people for a living. Oh, wow. And it makes me wonder if, without her grounding presence, if, if you could get a little oh, bit too lost. I think absolutely. I mean, you know, she should have a credit up there on the screen, you know, every movie that we've made together, you know. Uh, so, yeah, so incredibly supportive. You know, it, it, I was watching an interview with the two of you together, and the interviewer asked if you take your characters home with you, and oh, you yeah. said, not really, and she started laughing. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and it made me wonder what she sort of, like, the awareness that she has about you that maybe you don't even have. Exactly. Well, that's it, man. Yeah, to, to be with somebody who knows you better than yourself is quite a... Quite something, you know. But I remember doing a film called Jagged Edge. Yeah. I was playing a psychopath, you know. And I wasn't aware of it, but evidently there is subconscious stuff going on, you know. Well, I figure how can it not? Like if, if you're sort of, you know, 
to be great, I, I would think you'd have to really sort of go deep. Uh, well, I don't know. You don't know what depth. I don't know really what depth is. You know, there's a. You ever have the uh, the experience of uh, you're worrying about something? Yeah, I've I've had that experience. You've had that experience, and then you go to sleep, and somehow in your sleep, you wake up the next morning. You go, oh. Something happens is, uh, I read a, uh, a breakdown of, you ever know the fairy tale of the, uh, the shoemaker and the elves? Yes. And this idea that when we're asleep, there are these little magical elves that build, figure out how to build the beautiful shoes, build the, how do you do this, you know? And there's stuff that's going on, this subconscious preparation is very fascinating to me. Stuff that you're not even really aware of, but it's, it, you're doing, you know, you're go, you know, stuff's going on. You know, last time you said something when you were here that has stuck with me for six years, you said that normally you're a yin guy and you go with the flow and you're sort of down the stream and letting things mm -hmm. happen and, and accepting them and then occasionally you yang your ass off. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I get the sense that you have somehow figured out a way to remain open to whatever first turn you on in childhood about about why you're doing this in the first place, yeah. that you allow those pathways in, like like you said, maybe maybe going deep isn't about isn't about hard work. Maybe it's more about opening pathways that that a lot of us can't find. Yeah, my daughter, uh, Jessie, I think it was. Uh, you know, I'm often asked, you know about the dude, you know, what makes, you know, why do people like the dude? You know, what is it about the dude that makes him special, you know? I've always had, you know, bad answers for that. And Jesse said, oh, well, that's because the dude doesn't do anything. He's dude. <laughs> he, you know what I mean? In other words, yeah. he's, he's, he's been done. done. You know, he's <laughs> dude. You know, he doesn't do, he's dude. Say, oh yeah, that's probably it. You know, and uh, I, uh, I, um, you know, I think that's an interesting way to uh, to look at it. You know, I'm, I've always thought of myself as sort of a counterpuncher. You know, there's shit happening, and then what do you do? You know, oh, I, oh, that's it. Look what I did. That's interesting. You know, you never know what, if you're going to yin or yang or what's going on. But yeah, you know, just well, you you talked about when you got on the set of. Uh Iron Man in 2008, you said specifically you're a guy that likes a script. Oh, and yeah. Likes a, oh, uh, God. Likes uh, to prep and know your lines and this and that. And, and you were sort of mortified that every morning it seemed like the crew was waiting for hours while oh. the movie was rewritten and re-improvised. We spent uh, two weeks with Downey uh, and Favreau. Yeah. We spent two weeks rewriting the script and working on scenes because we weren't, we liked the basic storyline, but we, we wasn't working for us, you know. So we worked on it and we, we kind of cracked it. We were, felt good. The day before we started shooting, the Marvel guys, this was their first movie, Marvel's first movie. Right. They said, oh no, you, this is no good. I said, what are you talking about? We got to shoot the scene today. They said, oh no, well, let's go and we'll figure it out in one of the trailers. So this happened often, you know, many, many days where we would not know what we were going to shoot that day. We would have to write it that day in one of the trailers. 
one of my favorite shots in this book uh, that we're putting out is, it's not a particularly wonderful photograph, but I like it personally because it brings back that moment. I have a photograph of us in the trailer with, you know, Favreau, he would say, oh, I know, I got a writer, he might have some ideas, let me call him on the phone, he's calling this writer on the phone. And you one got the, the whole crew there, one right? Of the, the crew, they're out in this soundstage, right, tapping right. their foot, you know, and, we, and the Marvel guy is in there, you know, taking notes, and you see Downey over there going, oh, shit, like this, you know. And do, so that picture brings back all of those times and uh, how maddening it was until I made this little adjustment, which gave me tremendous relief, which was a little inner uh, adjustment saying, Jeff, just relax, man. You are making a $200 million student film. Have fun. Look who you get to jam with. These guys are, you know, master improv imp improvisers, you know. And just that little in inner adjustment shifted everything and I had a wonderful time. That's fascinating to me that you can make a little shift yeah. because you could have held on to the way things are supposed to be done and you could have had a miserable experience Well, that's that, that th that's like that trim tab thing in a weird, it's like an inner trim tab, you know, these little adjustments can make be huge, you know, results from those. Things. Right, a little a little shift and it turned the whole ship Yeah, for you. yeah. That's fascinating. Like the way to experience life is not by trying to know the outcome all the time, but by accepting whatever the circumstances are and trying to make an adjustment in yourself. That, I think that's it. You know, those um You know, I'm thinking like about Trump for instance. Some of the stuff that he comes up with it kind of rubs my fur the wrong way, you know. So how do I, how do I, uh, how do I uh, cast him? What role do I cast him in my life? How, you know? And uh, rather than being the guy, casting him as the guy who shuts it all down and accentuates my cynicism and said, oh, throw up my hands, I'm gonna cast him as the guy who uh, is a catalyst for me to you don't like that? You better get your. You better get it. The, how do you want it? Yeah. How do you want to see the world? Oh well, what can I do? Well, I know these guys. Yeah, I'm. I'm going to go do that. So they, you know, rather than have him shut me down and disappoint me, he's a call to action for me. You know, and God. that, and that, you know, I, I was. You know who Lovelock is? No, tell me. He's the guy who came up with the. Um, Gaia, you know, the world is a living creature, you know, the Gaia principle. He was one of the early um, environmentalists. And he came up, uh, I saw his recently, it's basically, he's very lovely cap, he's saying, too little, too late, guys, it's over, you know. <laughs> you know. The, the planet's gonna get crispy and we're all gone and you know, we're not gonna get it together in time and it's over, you know. God, that hit me. I just, oh God, this is depressing, you know. Kind of this, it was kind of a very similar thing to, to the Iron Man. When I reached those times, I said, well, what are you gonna do? What's the beautiful vision? You know, and the beautiful vision is kind of love comes to mind, you know, that corny 
word that the Beatles <laughs> sang about, you know, and we've been through all the time, you know. Love, you know, that's the kind of this place where everybody works together, kind of like the image of that movie, like we're making something beautiful for everyone to relate to, you know, that kind of thing. And I thought, that's where we want to go. And then I was thinking about that, and I said, well, I don't have to wait for that. You know, we don't have to wait for that love thing. That could go on right now. You know, I can be creating that world that I seek right now in the midst of this thing, you know. And that soothes me, man. It's like what I was talking about, that fear about, uh-oh, what, what scratches that fear itch? Doing the work, get, rubbing the sticks, right. find that passion, you know. Yeah. And I find that, oh, that relieves me and I'm doing something to create my dream and it doesn't really matter if I get the dream or, you know, it's like making a movie. We're here to create, you know, create the kind of world that you want to live in and you want your kids to live in. And so I find that uh, Trump and those guys, you know, ex inspires me to get going, man. You put that in such a way, like the idea of casting that role or casting someone in, you know, how are you going to cast them in your mind? Yeah. I, I, think, I think I've cast you as, as a bit of my spirit guide in life. And uh -huh. I, I look to the way you, you know, live your life and, and um, it's always inspiring. And to hear you talk about that and hear you talk about how subtle shifts in your own mind can change your experience, it's powerful. It, get, it, it, it makes you feel less like life is buffeting you around oh. and more like you can, you can, you know. Well, just be, be aware of the stories that we tell ourselves, you know. Right. We're so influenced by these stories and they're just stories, man. There's, you know, as the dude says, you know, that's just your opinion, man, you know, to think about it. all these thoughts and these stories we tell us, ourselves about what's happening what's going on, who we are, stories, man. Well, I think that you have such a way of, of sort of living your philosophy and experimenting at the same time as you kind of, you know, share that with people. And it's, it's always so inspiring to talk to you. And, and uh, you know, I, I'm glad you came to Great do this a second time. And, Me too. Yeah, yeah, it's really nice. Terrific. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, good, good to be here. Hey folks, that's our show. It's always great talking to Jeff. And I always walk out of these conversations just excited to get to work on some new weird artistic project. And that happened this time as well. So if you want to get inspired by Jeff, just like I do, a great first place to start is with his new book, Jeff Bridges Pictures Volume 2. It's put out by Powerhouse Books. You can find it wherever books are sold. I'm sure it's on Amazon. But it's a great volume to have in your house. And not only the pictures, but the words he writes about his own experiences and perceptions as an artist really add to the visual images in the book. And there's obviously a giant Jeff Bridges film oeuvre you can dive into, including some of my favorites, The Big Lebowski, True Grit, Starman, The Door in the Floor, Crazy Heart, and so many more. I mean, Jeff's made over 70 films, and every time he's on screen, there's and electricity and excitement. You don't know quite what's going to happen next. And he has that quality in real life too. So I really appreciated him coming on. You know, you can also see Jeff's first off-camera conversation and every other conversation we've ever done by going to offcamera.com. 
As you probably know, Off Camera is not only a podcast, but it's also a television show. We air new episodes every week on DirecTV's Audience Network and also AT&T UVerse. And you can also find the archive of our show, even if you don't have DirecTV, at our site, offcamera.com. In fact, we offer a great television package that allows you to watch any episode we've ever done as many times as you like on any device you like for only $4.99 a month. It's a great way to stay connected to off-camera and dive deep into the archives. I think Jeff was maybe episode 19, and he's just come back for episode 210. So there's been a lot of a lot of growth since then. But, you know, it's funny. I went back and watched his original conversation with me in preparation for him coming back. And it just reminds me what an interesting thing it is to check in with an artist and then check in with him later. Because with Jeff, he's constantly moving in new directions and... I like to think of those two conversations that we had as companion pieces that maybe tell a bigger picture about Jeff. So maybe give yourself an off-camera treat and watch both Jeff Bridges episodes back to back. Also, if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't subscribed yet, I recommend you go to wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to the show so that each episode automatically appears in your feed and you never miss a conversation. While you're there, if you give us a rating and a review, that helps other people find the show. Or just tell your friends. Social media is a great way to share the love about this show. And for us, it's essential to find new listeners and get this show to keep growing so we can keep doing it. So if you love what we're doing, take a minute and go on social media and tell the world about us. We are Off Camera Show at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And I am Sam Jones on Twitter and Sam Jones Pictures on Instagram. Also, if you follow me on Instagram, you're going to see a lot of behind-the-scenes pictures from the show each week. We have a photo studio here connected to the studio where we tape the show, and I take each guest into there, and we make some portraits, and it's sort of an extension of the conversation we have. So you can check all that out at offcamera.com or by getting the digital copy of our off-camera magazine. Like I said, the off-camera site is a deep dive, so just go check it out, tell your friends about us, and keep tuning in each week. I want to thank everybody that works on the show with me. Nathan Shields, Crawford Shippey, Michaela Galvin, Sasha Snow, and Kara Johnson. These folks spend a lot of time bringing this show to you, and we couldn't do a show without them each week. And most of all, thank you for tuning in. I appreciate your support. I appreciate your ears. And I hope you'll join me next week. See you next time, off camera.